we are right now in our series called the 29th chapter. Um, You've probably heard this before, but you need to hear it again. Uh, We finished going through the book of Acts, uh, and that is the story of how God moved through his church uh, in the, in the, uh, in its inception. He moved through the apostles. He, he began doing amazing things as, as uh, Jesus ascended into heaven and poured out his spirit on the, the church. Uh, they went forth. They started in Jerusalem. It started with, uh, really 12 guys that Jesus had appointed, and it, it blew up. It moved all through Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uh, Asia Minor, which for them at the time was the ends of the earth. Uh, and here's the reality is that when Acts ended, in Acts chapter 28, uh, we see Paul on his way, or Paul in Rome, um, and the church just growing. And, and, and what happens uh, from a, a, a storyteller's perspective is that um, we get a story that doesn't end. Um, and, and that is the point, because we continue that story. And that's what we've been talking about for many weeks now, is, is being a part of the unfolding story of God's redemption in the world. And we've talked a lot about that storyline that dominates history, not just scripture, but history of creation, fall, and redemption, and where we fit in this story. And ultimately, what we've come to uh, in, in many ways is this reality that, that the story uh, of, of God is this. God is, God is redeeming a broken world. He is saving lost people. He is undoing the curse. And he's doing it through the church. We are a part of God's mission to the world. And, and so what, we, what we've been looking at and what we are looking at today is how, how do we do that as a church? Uh, how, how do each of you who are, are, a part of, um, are a part of this body, how do we do that? How, how do we achieve this mission that God has called the church to? What even is that mission in, in, in a very specific sense? That's what we're talking about. And so we're going to be looking at our purpose statement. Um, and, 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 and you've seen our purpose statement before, I promise. You, you might have thought it was a mission statement until a few days ago, so did I. But it's actually a purpose statement, and it's not going to be on the screen, but it is in your bulletins. If you open up your bulletin to that very first page, what you'll see is uh, our purpose statement, and it's this. Exalt the Lord. Establish believers. And engage the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. This is our purpose as a, as a body. This is our purpose as individuals. And for the next couple weeks, we're going to be looking at this statement. Uh, we're going to be breaking it down. And, and, and we're going to see how we fit. How we do these things. Why we do these things. What it even means to do these things. That's what I'm talking about this morning. I'm talking specifically about exalting the Lord. Next week, uh, Brad will finish it out, I believe. Um, But this morning, if you haven't noticed, all of our songs have talked about exalting the Lord in one form or another. It is our greatest and highest duty. Uh, The other week, I, I preached on the Trinity, and I found it very difficult in preparation 
uh, to preach on the Trinity because you really have to do some, not piecework per se, but you have to look at, at the entire range of doctrine and, and conversation about Jesus and God and, 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 and Jesus the, and the Father and the Spirit and piece it together and show how biblically uh, this is the case. Uh, with exalting the Lord, it's, it's, it's almost the opposite end of the spectrum. From page one on, it's just full of reasons to and commands to exalt the Lord. I mean, this, it, it, it really, picking a passage was pretty easy because I could have just done this and found a passage that, that, it, it, that calls us to exalt the Lord. Uh, but, nonetheless, um, we're, we're going to go with Psalm 99. I know in the bulletins it says Revelation 15. Um, that's because initially it was one of the two passages that I was going to be using. Uh, Psalm 99 and Revelation 15. But I really feel like Psalm 99 encapsulate the fullness of this. And so that's what we're going to read. We are going to get to Revelation 15. But just so you... It's not one of those, last night God called me to preach something else. That, that's not at all what happened. Um, so if you would, turn to Psalm 99 with me. And stand, because we're going to read it together. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is He. The King in His might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also was among those who called upon his name. They called to the Lord and he answered them. In the pillar of the cloud he spoke to them. They kept his testimonies and the statute that he gave them. O Lord our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them but an avenger of their wrongdoings. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at His holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. Let's pray. God, we come to this text. We read it. We think about these songs that we sing, that we've sung. I exalt Thee, exalt the Lord. Your God And I have to admit, honestly, God, when I sing these songs, sometimes I feel quite phony. I feel like I'm lying. You are worthy of our exaltation. And God, as we go through your word, I pray that your spirit would move, that it would fall on us, that our hearts would be broken. And turned towards you. 
Exalt yourself in our midst, God, would you? So that, so that we might in turn exalt you. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and be seated. I'm going to tell you this right now. If you are not in a home group, you are going to miss out on about 50% of what you could have gotten from this. Uh, I'm giving you a whole sermon, (laughs) but basically what I'm going to do this morning is make a case for why we ought to exalt the Lord and what the beginning points, the beginning phases of exalting the Lord are. And in home group, you are going to look at the very, very practical, difficult duty of exalting the Lord. And you're going to talk about it on hopefully a very personal level. And so if you are a part of a home group, go, go this week, go. And if you are not, uh, if you go out to our information kiosk, our information desk, there's a list of home groups. If you go on our website, there's a list of home groups when they meet, where they meet. Go to a home group. The discussion will be good. It'll be rich. It'll be fruitful. I'm putting a lot of pressure on the home group leaders. But that's okay. And so there you'll talk about how to flesh out all of that stuff. But right now I want to make a case to you um, for exalting the Lord. And that case comes from Psalm 99. What we're going to do, I'll just lay it out. Uh, There are not going to be a lot of slides with notes. Uh, That is intentional. I know some of you are copious note takers. You have books and books and books of notes that you've taken in the past. And I don't want to tell you not to take notes. But but this is something where I, I really feel like just listen and let the words of the Lord steep in your heart the best you can. Take notes if you, if you, if you must. Um, we'll get the sermon up online. Listen to it if you want to take more copious notes. Um, but hear, hear these things. Hear what the Word is saying. Um, and so with that in mind, um, here's an outline. <laughs> uh, <laughs> irony. Um, we're going to look at what it means to exalt the Lord. And then after that, we're going to look at why we ought to exalt the Lord. And then we're going to end by looking at how, how we exalt the Lord. And so let's ask that first question. What does it even mean to exalt the Lord? I really feel like sometimes we get in, in our Christian ghettos, in our Christian circles, we come to church, we sing these songs, we say these words, exalt the Lord, glorify the Lord, magnify the Lord, and we, we don't even really know what we're saying. And there are some of you in here who are not Christians. Some of you who perhaps haven't even really been to church and you're hearing us say these terms, exalt the Lord. That's not a, that's not a term that we use in our culture anyway. What does that mean? Well, let's look at this text. There's a, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of clues to what it means to exalt the Lord in here. Uh, first in verse 1, it says uh, that God is seated upon the cherubim. Now cherubim are angels. Angels that are in the heavenlies. And what, what Scripture is saying is that God is enthroned above even the heavenly beings, even, even the angels. The Lord is great, it says in verse 2, in Zion. And Zion is the holy mountain of the Lord. The Lord is on top of the highest and holiest of mountains. 
He's the king. We're called to worship at his footstool in verse 5. We're called to worship at his holy mountain, which is Zion, in verse 9. All of these things are positional terms. They're positional phrases. And so what I want you guys to understand, I want you to realize that to exalt the Lord, it's, it's a positional phrase. It's relative to another object. To exalt the Lord is to literally lift up, to, to raise, to elevate the Lord above all things. And so there's a sense in which... Um, the, the imagery here that, that, that the psalmist is giving uh, gives you geographical sort, sort of locational exaltation. He's on a mountain, therefore he's higher than those who aren't on the mountains or in the valleys. Uh, he's in heaven, enthroned above the angels. And, and at that time, and, and even now, the understanding, when we say heaven, we don't say, you know, we're looking down to heaven. You know, if you're, if you're going down, it's not heaven you're going to, right? It's not, it's not good to go down. But, but we go up to heaven. We think about the rapture and, and, and the idea that, that the dead will be raised and that we'll be caught up in the clouds. Heavenly things are giving an, given an upward uh, location. And, and so what we're seeing here is that God is exalted in, in, his, in his location. He's above all things. And that's calling us to go from something that, that's wrapped up in physical boundaries to something that's wrapped up in the heart. We are to elevate God above all things in our heart and in our lives. What does it mean to exalt the Lord? It means to place Him above all things. To seat Him above every compartment of your life. Exalt the Lord your God. Live your life in such a way that it shows that God is greater than money. Greater than fear and doubt. Greater than your country. Greater than your family. Greater than your job. Exalt the Lord. What's the opposite of exalting the Lord? It's sin. It's sin. God calls us to, we're called to exalt the Lord. And when we don't, what happens? We exalt something else over him, and that's idolatry. And we'll come back to that in a moment. But exalt the Lord. What, what does it mean to exalt the Lord? It means to position him in the highest place in your life. And here's the reality. For some of you, for a lot of you, for a lot of us, I'm going to include me in that. What that means is that we have to position God in our life higher than we position ourselves. Because most of the times that number one thing isn't the family. We like to say it is. It's not the family. It's not the job. It's, it's, not the, it's us. And God has called us. We are called to exalt the Lord. That is our purpose. As a church, we don't want to exalt Grace Community Church. I want you to hear that. As a church, we don't want to exalt the United States of America. As a church, we don't want to exalt Reformed theology or Calvinism 
or Arminianism or any of those. We want to exalt God. And that's why it's number one. That's why we list it first. Is because our first and primary duty is to exalt the Lord. And so the question would come, why? I want to say that this question is for skeptics and doubters and unbelievers who might be in here. Uh, But I, I do think that it's equally appropriate for us as Christians. We ask it. We may not ask it in the sentence, why should I exalt the Lord? What's so great about God? You know, we love singing songs about how great our God is, right? But we ask ourselves questions like, why shouldn't I have this? Why is it such a big deal that I be faithful? Why is it such a big deal that I tithe? Why can't I keep that money and use it for things that bring me a sense of security or pleasure? All of these questions, they're not, they're not questions about the action themselves. What you're really asking is, why should I exalt the Lord? And that's what we're going to look at. That's where I want to spend the majority of the time because it's huge here. Uh, There are two reasons that we'll see here. And there are a ton of reasons. But there are two primarily in this text. Uh, The first is in verses 1 through 5. The Lord reigns, it says. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The king in his might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice. Then it says, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. And the first reason that we should worship God is because he is high above all of us. He reigns. There, there, there is a reality going on here that, that you need to hear. And that is this, that, that God is exalted already. By virtue of being creator, um, by being king, by being Lord, by being God, perfect, he already is above us. There is a distinction. There is creator and we are the creatures. God is already exalted. He is far beyond us. And for that reason, we ought to exalt him. We ought to, in our hearts, exalt him. Not, now, now, we're not talking about in reality. We cannot lift God up, but in our hearts, we can exalt him. In our lives, we can exalt him. And we ought to, because his ways are not our ways. Because as the psalmist says, look, the nations, they're foolish to laugh at our God. They say, where is your God? We can see our God. We can store our gods in our bank. We can go onto the internet, and when nobody's looking, we can worship our God. Where's your God? What does the psalmist say? 
Our God's in the heaven and he does whatever he wants. You summon your God at will. You carve him. You place him where you want him to be. But not our God. He's in the heavens. He, whatever he wants, that's what he does. He's above us even. We can't manipulate our God. We cannot control our God. He is high and exalted. And for that reason, because that is the reality, we ought to, in our hearts, exalt God. He is high above you. Exalt the Lord because He already reigns over you. And here's the reality. That you don't have to do that. You don't have to exalt the Lord in your heart. But you're foolish if you don't. You're foolish. Because it is the reality. It is the reality. Look, I'm in a sports mood, so we're just going to talk sports for a second. Um, I'm a Cowboys fan, and so I have to live in reality. Right? It's not been good. Reality has not been good for us. Um, But as a Cowboys fan... In my heart, a few Sundays ago, I exalted the Cowboys over the Eagles. I did so with my words to some of my Eagles friends. Um, And 35 points later, I was embarrassed. I mean, I had to turn off the TV and bite my lip to fight back tears. Not, Not really, but, you know, inside. I didn't go on Facebook. You know why? Because I, I feared that all of my friends who are Eagles fans would just post little jabs. Right? And I know that sounds silly, but here's the reality. When you exalt the wrong things, you're going to be embarrassed. At some point or another, you will be ashamed. People exalted money and their financial security until the economy tanked. And their glory became their shame. That which they exalted betrayed them. People exalt their own self-righteousness, their own status, until they're found out to be frauds. And they're ashamed. I want you to hear what, what God's saying here. The king is in his might loves justice and establishes equity and will execute justice. One day, if you do not live in reality and put the first things first, you will be put to shame. It may happen here on the earth. But if not, it's coming. And we'll talk about that later. The second reason that we ought to exalt the Lord is found in the second half of this, this, this passage. This passage, is, it's so good. It's so good. Uh, I don't often charge people, except maybe the youth, to commit things to memory. But if you can memorize this psalm, do it. I mean, it's amazing. The first reason we exalt the Lord is because He is far beyond us. He is exalted over us. The second reason we should exalt the Lord is because He meets us right where we are. Moses and Aaron were among His priests. They interceded on behalf of the people. Samuel, a prophet, also was among those who called upon his name. They called to the Lord and he answered them. 
in the pillar of cloud. He spoke to them. They kept his testimonies and the statutes that he gave them. Now listen to this. O Lord our God, you answered them. You are a forgiving God to them and an avenger to their wrongdoings. God is above the angels. He is seated on his holy mountain and yet he comes down and he meets us where we are. And here's the reality that he's done this in Jesus. If you go through the rest of the Psalms, if you read especially the last three Psalms, 148, 149, and 150, they all start, praise the Lord. And then they, they, they command a different, uh, different groups of people in different settings to praise the Lord. Praise Him, sun, moon, stars, creeping things, humans. Praise Him throughout the earth. Praise Him in a sanctuary. Praise Him in your homes. Praise Him with instruments. Praise Him with your voices. Praise Him with broken li- hearts and, and broken uh, spirits that are contrite and repentant. And time after time in each of those things, we see why. Because the Lord established them. He created them. He set them in this place. And then it says, because He gave them the horn of salvation. Jesus. Because He's a God that comes down and He meets us where we are. Look, there's a, lot of, there's, a, there's a lot of discussion in the church about what t- type of a God we serve. And in high church, God is very far. He's high and he's exalted and, and he is transcendent. He is completely other than us. And that's true, but it's not fully true. And then... In, in, in sort of more contemporary um, to into postmodern uh, uh, church understandings of God, He's our friend and He He's our buddy and He He meets with us and He He's dirty with us and 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 He walks around with us, He tabernacles with us, right? And that's true, but only part of the story. God is both. The God we worship is both far above us, the one whose ways are above us, and yet who reveals to us the mysteries of his love and his salvation. He meets us where we are. Some of you are are broken. All of us are broken. But some of you visibly, tangibly, are experiencing your brokenness. You're experiencing the curse. Your families are broken. You've placed your hope and your trust in all the wrong things and all the wrong people, and they've let you down. And you know it. Some of you are are sick weak, aging. You know your limitations. Let me tell you, that's a really good place to be. Not to stay, 
but to be. Because we serve a God who meets you right there in your brokenness. He's calmed out. And he is there to meet you. And look, if you don't realize that, realize it now. That you are broken and in need and that God has come to meet you. And exalt the Lord in your hearts. Because he has come down and, and, and he has made himself present with you. He is both fully above you and yet he is fully in your midst. He is both high and exalted and yet he's lowly and he's a servant on your behalf. This is the God we worship. And what I find tremendous about this is, is verse 5 and verse 9 in this are almost identical. Verse 5 says, exalt the Lord our God, worship at his footstool. And then verse 9 says, exalt the Lord our God, worship at his holy mountain. And in one, we're called to worship as people who are well below God, as servants. And in the other, we're called to join him in his place and worship him there. We are both held at a distance and drawn near in the same text. And here's the reality, that we, <laughs> we will exalt the Lord one way or another. Both of these sentiments are true, and they will always be true. And this is, this is where I spent a lot of time this week. T- turn, to, turn to Revelation 15. And, and, and remember those two things. Exalt the Lord because he's, he's, he's high above us. He's king. He's Lord. Therefore, exalt him. And exalt him because he's made a way for us. He's come down and he has made a way for us to be with him uh, and so that we might exalt him. And in Revelation 15, uh, let me just set the stage for a little bit. Uh, John is seeing a vision. And currently in the vision, seven angels have come forward and they have seven bulls and they're about to, to pour out the last of God's wrath on the earth. That's literally what it says. It says, uh, I saw another sign. This is verse one. It's not on the screen. I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. Okay? And so they're about to pour these bowls of God's wrath, these cups, really, literally, goblets, these cups of God's wrath. They're about to pour them on the earth in judgment. I know some of the people who say they're with us as Christians uh, in pop culture say that God has no judgment to pour out on people but only hugs and lollipops. Um, That's not the picture here. They're about to pour out God's wrath on all those who do not believe. And the angels sing this song. It says in verse 3, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nation, nations. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. 
All nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts have been revealed. Okay. <laughs> so what's happening here is that these, that, um, that the song that is being sung is saying that, God, you are going to be exalted. You're going to be recognized as Lord and lifted up by all people right here as you pour out your judgment. God's wrath glorifies and exalts him. God is glorified. He's exalted in pouring out his righteous wrath on people. That's, that's a hard thing to say. But it has to be said. God receives glory in executing vengeance. We don't because we're not worthy of that. We are not high and exalted above people. We ought not be worshipped. God ought to be worshipped and thus is righteous in pouring out his wrath. He is exalted in pouring out his wrath. Love does win, but not in that way. Love wins here. God wins by pouring out his wrath on those who do not believe. If you are not a believer, you need to hear this. You may not exalt the Lord right now. And you may say, I don't want to exalt the Lord. But listen, listen, do not be foolish. You will exalt the Lord. Either now, willingly, and then with him, or only then, as a recipient of his wrath. I, I don't like saying that. Honestly, I'm not that guy. But here's the reality of Scripture. There's wisdom. Exalt the Lord and there's folly. Don't and wait for him to exalt himself by executing judgment. And I'm begging you, be wise. And here's how you can be. It's the same thing as we said in the Psalms. <laughs> and this is, what's, this is what's crazy to me. So remember the scene. Remember the picture. The angels are, are about to pour out the bowls of wrath and the people are singing this song about how great and awesome God is, how just and true he is, how magnificent and holy and worthy of our worship and our glory. They're saying it now. And what did they say it was? They're singing the song of Moses. It turns out <laughs> that the first half of this song, the first portion of this song, a little more than half, was actually sung by Moses and the people of God. When? When he delivered them out of bondage and slavery. We can sing this song because God delivers us from that wrath. The song will be sung, but how will you sing it? And so now here's the interesting thing, is that Moses sings that when he's delivered from, from, after the exodus. Um, and now this is happening here with cups being poured out. Cups of God's wrath. 
But this is not the first place that we've seen the cups of God's wrath being poured out. We've seen it in Ezekiel. We've seen it in, uh, I want to say Daniel. I'm sorry that I can't say that with more certainty. But we've seen it several times in the Minor Prophets. But then we get this picture of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's praying. And one of the guys with him is John, uh, who, who, who's been, received this revelation that we just read. And John's asleep, along with the rest of Jesus' friends. Um, and Jesus is agonizing, and he's praying, and he says, Lord, this is the night before he, the night he'll be betrayed, and, and, and he's about to die. He says, Lord, if you can take this cup from me, do it. But not my will sure as be done. And, and what Jesus says is, is God, <laughs> I know what's about to happen. Jesus knew that in, 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 in several hours he would take the cup of God's wrath that was meant for us because we would not exalt the Lord. It was meant for us and Jesus on the cross would tip that cup and he would drink it. One of my favorite, my favorite s- statements, uh, phrases, is that he drank it to the dregs. Till every drop was drunk. The fullness of the wrath of God that we see God being glorified in Revelation 15 for pouring out on those who would not believe and who did not exalt the Lord in their lives. It is that same cup, that same wrath that Jesus drinks on the cross. And because of that, we sing this song. Exalt the Lord and worship at His feet. Holy is He. Exalt the Lord and worship at His holy mountain. And you can because Jesus has made a way. How? Just going to give you three things. Then you're going to have to talk about the rest of it in home group. Number one is this. (laughs) Believe in Jesus. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because it's impossible to exalt Him. Only in Jesus Christ can you in your hearts exalt the Lord. What does Paul say to the Romans? We've heard it before, right? There's none righteous, not even one. There's none who seeks good. There's none who loves God. None of us exalt the Lord apart from the work of Jesus Christ. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe Jesus? Some of you don't. Some of you think you do, but you don't. Some of you know you don't.
today. Right now even. Right now. Understand this. Jesus Christ has made a way. He has taken the punishment, the wrath that should have been yours. He's received and fulfilled the righteous justice of God for you. And you have a choice. You, ha- you, have, you have two two roads that you can take. You can believe or you can perish. That doesn't come from us. We don't, we don't want you to perish. We bring no judgment because the reality for all Christians, especially me, is that apart from Jesus, I would be the most hideous of all people. Unable to exalt Him, unable to worship Him, dead in my sins. But Jesus made a way. And His Spirit regenerated my heart so that I could believe. And right now, if you do not know Jesus and you feel this, if you feel knots in your stomach or if you feel like this is, this is true and I, I don't, right now, the Spirit is working in you. Do not, do not let that, don't, don't let it go by. Trust Jesus. It is the first and and really the most important Step, if you will, in exalting him. And then if you go back to Psalm 99, you don't have to go there. Um, But again, you'll recall that exalting is a positional thing. You have to elevate God. And in order to do that, you have to humble yourself. And this might be the hardest thing. Every day, reminding yourself that you are not the center of the universe. It only feels that way. Get back to reality. Position God in that place. Humble yourself. And then as a church, but as individuals too, as a church, we also have to realize that we're called then to praise His great name and to worship both at his footstool, at his mountain. It's, it's, it's the same thing here, essentially. We're called to praise and to worship God um, in, in every facet of our life. Every single one. Begin putting God where you put other things. If you love money, exalt God above money. If you love, uh, if you love your family more than you love God, and that's a tough one. We say it a lot. Um, you'll get to talk about that in home groups. I say that a lot too. Um, but exalt God above your family. Exalt God above your spouse. Um, exalt God above your libido. Exalt God uh, above power above your nation, above all things. Because he's worthy. And here's the thing, is when you see those things in their proper place, it's a beautiful picture. They're beautiful, good things. Exalt the Lord. 
Now Jesus said it this way. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek it first. And then all those other things, they'll come. And what you'll find also is that you don't need them as much as you thought you did. You don't love them as much as you thought they did. They're not actually as awesome as you thought they were. But God is. Exalt the Lord your God and worship at his feet. Let's pray.